Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. So how you doing this week, Mike? Chris, I'm doing great. I'm feeling fine. But the big questions, how are you feeling? You're back with us. It was terrible being solo <laughs> last week without you. Well, I listened to your solo. You did great. Good job. Good job <laughs> by you, man. Uh, yeah, I'm back. I was sick. or I still am sick a little bit, but I'm good enough to do this pod. Need to get it out there. Need to get it to the people. They want it. But uh, it's sad to say that I unfortunately uh, came down with COVID. Me and my entire family, and my, my parents, who I'm currently living with in this transition period between grad school and starting a new job. So, yeah, that sucks. Um, luckily, I'm not seriously, you know, sick, um, have minor symptoms. Um, but, yeah, my parents and wife, not so much. So, hopefully, you know. I, I just can't, I, we're not, we don't really get into this stuff in this pod, but sure. all I can say is, you know, wear a mask, be safe, social distance. I don't know where this came from, but, um, yeah, I can't say anything more, you know, this sucks and I feel for all the people that have to go through it and, you know, so yeah, but I'm back and hopefully we all get better quickly. Yeah. Well, welcome back. You know, you've been in my prayers and my family's prayers and a lot of listeners they gave you some uh some get well wishes on on the social media platforms so i know it was nice to see that so all right glad you're here talking with me tonight yes speaking of our wonderful listeners we want to do a little something for them as our january giveaway we are going to open up this giveaway to all of our listeners and I am going to give away one of my two copies of Consent to Kill, autographed copies of Consent to Kill. Very nice. Yeah. And uh, we like doing special things for our patrons, but we love all of our listeners. So to sign up, simply go to our website, MitchRapPod.com, and you will see a sign up for No Limits email updates. We are going to include in the giveaway everybody who signs up for the No Limits email updates through our website. And once you're registered, you will get occasional emails from us with updates on all things Mitch Rap Pod. Uh, we promise not to bombard your inbox, just maybe once a week or even less frequent than that. But all you got to do to be entered in the giveaway, an autographed copy of Consent to Kill, is go to MitchRapPod.com, click the sign up for No Limits email updates button, and uh, get enrolled. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We'll announce that at the end of January. So just a couple of weeks from now. Sweet. And while we're here, I got to give another shout out to a listener, Sherry F., one of our, our special operator, right? Yes. Uh, she just posted on social media that she got one of our Mitrap Pod hoodies, a black one. Looks pretty sick. So if any of you are interested in getting some Mitrap Pod merchandise, um, a t-shirt or a hoodie with our logo on it, you can just head on over to our website, MitrapPod.com, and hit the little Teespring button and order order yourself one. It's pretty sick and you know help out the pod a little bit. So, All right. Hey, to transition into our book, because we are covering the sixth book in the Mitrap saga and Vince's uh, seventh book overall, Consent to Kill, one last listener shout out. We follow uh, Stephen Hendricks, 
This guy is awesome on Facebook. If you don't follow him, search him up. He posts thriller reviews with drink pairings. And some of these are spot on. He's pumping out multiple reviews each week of thriller books, and each one's got a bottle right next to it. Where does he find the time? I, I, I don't know where he gets all the time to do this. Yeah, I asked him today. I was like, are you reading these as you post? Because he's got two, three a week. I just see them all the time. Uh, but it's kind of cool. He matches the covers with with the drink label. So it's like a visual matchup. But, oh, that's cool. you know, that's cool. I also get the sense of like the storylines and plot lines kind of gel with whether it's an intense drink, a laid back drink, you know, something easy to digest. And I bring this up because he posted Consent to Kill our book for today so i told him i'd give him a shout out yeah he went with the crown royal vanilla so something nice and smooth for our smooth operator here you know mitch rap getting his revenge so (laughs) that's very delicious i love the crown royal vanilla it's very very nice i don't think i had the vanilla ever that and the peach the peach is hard to find but the peach is delicious too maybe do a little peach vanilla Hmm. look at that cream there you Look go. Do that. All right. Well, what do you think? Let's get into the book. All right. Let's do it. So on Goodreads, you know, we like to kick it off with your Goodreads metric. So Consent to Kill has a Goodreads score of 4.36, which I think um, besides, if I just pull up our little book orders thing, besides uh, Total Power, it has uh, the highest... Uh, Vince Flynn Goodreads score. Um, it's tied with Kyle Mills Lethal Agent, although we haven't looked at the any of the other ones, all the ones that we've read to date, right? Um, and the summary goes like this. So, for years, Mitch Rapp's bold actions have saved the lives of countless Americans. He has killed with impunity, tortured to avert disaster, and shown he will do whatever it takes to prevent terrorists from fulfilling their bodily wishes. Uh, bloody wishes, sorry. His battle for peace and freedom have made him a hero to many and an enemy to countless more. In the tangled, duplicitous world of espionage, there are those, even among America's allies, who want to see Mitrav eliminated. They have decided the time has come. Now the powerful father of a dead terrorist demands vengeance in its simplest form, an eye for an eye, and Rap instantly becomes the target of an international conspiracy. This time... He must use all of his vigilance and determination to save himself before he can turn his fury on those who have dared to betray him. I think that's probably my my favorite Goodreads summary so far. Yeah, that's rather eloquent. Some of the word choice there is very uh, good. A little higher than you know what we've seen in the other ones. (laughs) Very a little more erudite. Yeah, for sure. Duplicitous. Duplicitous. (laughs) Impunity. Hung me up there a little bit. Well, Chris, you know what else has words composed in a very pleasant format? Um, a limerick. Yeah, limerick. I was going to say a limerick. And I guess one could say my thoughts on this book are best summed up in not the form of a single limerick or a double limerick, but Consent to Kill deserved a triple limerick. Wow. So here we go. Give it to us. There once was an assassin with a task. To hunt Mitch Rapp, the goulds were asked. If the Saudis pay, a bell will play, and all responsible will be unmasked. 
An act of love saves them in the end, but Louis, forever condemned. A baby is born, another forlorn, and his memory and spirit transcend. The landmark book in the rap series, which fans and readers forever hold dearly. Flynn takes some risks, and pacing so crisp, an unexpected ending tis clearly. Pretty good, man. There it is. You're you're a poet. You are a poet. I banged this one out in like 15 minutes right before we started, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know when you feel inspired? You, you just feel inspired sometimes. You just you just feel it and you keep going. You just I can't stop with one, can't stop with two. I got to give you three. This is sick. I got to give Hey, I think this book earned it. Vince doing something special here for us. So. <clears throat> oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we're going to enjoy talking talking together about this book and really getting down dirty with some of the storylines and uh, you know, as you said in, in your limerick, this is definitely a fan favorite, you know, and we've talked to some listeners and they, they've all stated that this is one of their favorites. So and, and I, I think it really and Kyle as well. Yeah, so really shows itself, especially in this first half. So yeah, let's just get into the storyline a little bit. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. We we have a pretty cool prelude uh to open. You know, that's one of the treats we always get with a Vince Flynn book. Some nice little short crisp introduction which catches your attention and what a line you know we open with here quote to kill a man is a relatively easily easy thing especially the average unsuspecting man to kill a man like mitch rapp however would be an entirely different matter it would take a great deal of planning and a very talented assassin or more likely a team who were either brave enough or crazy enough to accept the job in fact, any sane man, by definition, would have the sense to walk away. Yeah, I was going to say you could add in stupid enough. <laughs> stupid enough, yeah. Louis can't walk away, though. No, he cannot. He cannot walk away. Yeah, like that prelude really, you know, it sets you up for this, obviously foreshadowing someone is going to be trying to kill the trap, right? And then we have that, sets the stage. And then we immediately jump into this discussion that Rap is going to have with Irene, which is going to set up in the first couple chapters, you know, you know, this pretty crazy action. And we see Mitch Rap right off the gun showing his skills to take down this, you know, radicalized cleric in Canada. So I wanted to just, you know, what did you think of that scene in Canada? Uh, the description of like, you know, Rap decides he has to be the one on the ground. He, you know, he's not going to let anyone. Again, typical rap fashion. He has to be mm -hmm. the one to take out the guy, which has come to bite him in the ass in, in in the past. But this time, you know, it doesn't, and he succeeds. But I don't know. I just enjoy the descriptions of how you know, it, right before he's about to kill the guy, he's like rocking back and forth on his feet, getting ready. Yep. Uh, explaining also like all the things that Coleman team have done to get to surveil this guy, and that they know it. It really shows the expertise of him and his team. You know, we're sort of just thrown right into to this world again. Yeah. Well, I like that last point you brought up. I feel like this is a seamless transition from Memorial Day, which I like. I like when the books are connected and have these like mini arcs that they cover. Right. Because Memorial Day ended with Kennedy saying, Rap, this is your chance. Like... If ever you were going to be given a green light, consent to take care of these terrorists, it's right now because they nearly hit us. 
And that scene leads right into it. He's got a list. This cleric in Montreal has been spreading terror, has been funding terror out of his mosque, and Rap's going to move down his list. He's going he's gonna to pick him off. And I love that we jump right into that action. But it's also embedded in a bigger story. So Kennedy is approving this individual mission, but she's also approving Rap to do kind of a reorg. You know, now that he works at the CIA, not just as an operative on the ground, he also is somewhat of an administrator, which sounds weird because Rap doesn't like that. But here in this book, he's excited to kind of reorg and shape up, uh, shake up the the line of command because he wants more latitude. And he knows after this almost, you know, attack in D.C., he can get that approval. And right. so this scene, I think, just fits that narrative. And then it fits where Rap goes next, which is taking his notes to expand the Orion team to the Senate Intelligence Committee because he's going mi- to uh, uh, meet with a couple of very powerful senators who, who aren't often pro-intelligence or pro-CIA, right. yeah. but he knows now he can get them and they'll be on his, his team this time. Yeah, I mean, it's like we saw this personally after 9-11 and yeah. after various events where – there's this crackdown. And so in the rap universe, there was just, he stopped not one, but two nuclear weapons from, you know, one very close from being uh, exploded in the Capitol building, right? Or in the capital city. And so he needs to take advantage of the leverage that he has, you know, they're, they're scared because they almost died. Right. And yeah, so he sees this, uh, he takes this meeting. Uh, and so this is like our second, you know, sort of theme here, this whole national intelligence shakeup that's going to play heavily in the second half of the book with, you know, we have this new character that we're introduced to with the DNI, uh, Ross. Essentially, there's this cabinet position where they're going to oversee all of, bring to, in order to tie together all of the intelligence agencies. And so you have these, as you mentioned, these two senators who they want to see the CIA, FBI, NSA, whatever, work better. They think that they're not doing their job. And so he takes this meeting. They agree, like, he's, he's he, he takes this meeting and he, he doesn't understand, he doesn't quite know what they're going to do. And Kennedy knows what they want, but do, purposely doesn't tell Rap anything about the meeting because he wants to get his, his true, you know, sort of take on the meeting. And I actually like the character of, um, uh what's his um hartsburg the mm-hmm. like the, the who they have this scene where we, we can just mention it now where they meet in the hawk and dove and he's sitting there reading 1980 uh 84 1984 or rap kicks and, his chair or something <laughs> yeah and he's like i didn't take you as a 1984 uh guy i, t- I took you more as a uh, animal farm kind of guy yep. And it's this whole play on like this guy is a you know a Democrat, a socialist, whatever you want to call him, like yeah. or you know left leaning. Rap is more nationalistic, right? Um, and so these two people that don't normally interact with each other but see this common ground and are willing to sort of put their political views aside because they see a need to have this new you know reorg in the Orion team. Yeah. And in this scene at at this bar, which I definitely want to bring up in a second, there's this interesting conversation and it's like they're kind of on the same page, even though Vince is showing they're clearly ideologically on different sides of the political spectrum, like you said. And 
they feel intimidated by rap, but Senator Hartsburg is willing to kind of reach out and, and cross the aisle. He says, quote, there isn't a person on Capitol Hill who doesn't get a little nervous around you. But we couldn't agree more. And so he's, right. he's like, and rap is like, you agree with what I want to do and expand the Orion team? And Senator Hartsburg does say, we have to hit them before they hit us. And, you know, I guess after a trauma of two nuclear weapons in your city, very close to detonation, even the both sides of political spectrum are going to get behind our counterterrorism, you know, operations and intelligence. So, and all of this is going down at a bar, both beloved to you and I and our alma yes. mater, Catholic University, yes. the freaking mm. Hawking Dove. Like, you know, I get excited about DC things coming up, and you grew up here, so yes. you too. But, um, the Hawking Dove, man, how many nights were we there in college every weekend? I mean, this scene takes place downstairs at the restaurant. We were always upstairs at that dance floor, dance if you floor, can call which, it that. Which was going to uh, cave in if you if – you, <laughs> I always thought, like, there was way too many people up there. And if – you know, they put on, like, I don't know, what's that – what's that big song when we were in college? Uh, oh, I'm like, Black Eyed Peas, I Got a Feeling, oh, you know, everyone's jumping up and down. And I thought the, I thought the dance floor was just going to fall, you know. But yeah, I actually went to the bar. In for five dollar cover. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you weren't allowed to drink, my ass. Um, oh, okay. They don't give you a bracelet. <laughs> the I actually went to there in high school because um, you know I went to high school at Gonzaga and not not a far walk on you know our lunch breaks we would go there for lunch and I actually knew a guy who I went to high school with and I think his uncle was part owner of the place so you know I yeah. that. Hawk and Dove has been in my life for a long time. I don't know if it's still there or I haven't been there in a long time, but I think it is. It might have closed for a while and reopened. I, I think it reopened before COVID. It closed for a while. Right. But I, I believe it's reopened. And you, I mean, no doubt it's on Capitol Hill, just southeast of the Capitol there on Pennsylvania Avenue. You would definitely see congressmen, senators having lunch there for sure. You know, burger well, and fries type of place. There's actually so it. Uh, Vince describes the bar like sort of perfectly as this like divey yes. of all dive bars, and he says that, and I don't know much about politics or like the inner workings of politics, but he says like the fact that a senator a senator would normally be at this bar, like uh, not like senate, a, yeah. a con a congressman would be here, but not exactly. a senator. Exactly. And this this big. Because the guy, he's a boxer, right? He's from New Jersey. He's like a, a boxer. Right. And he's sitting there reading 1984 on lunch drinking, I think he says scotch or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. Great Love scene. Love that. Love that stuff. Hey, the whole politicking goes a little south, though, like you mentioned with Director of National Intelligence, Ross. Yes. Because he's a guy who's going to pull rank. He's going to be very pushy. He's going to have this bravado of a politician who's going to be your best friend, but secretly scheme behind your, your back. A typical Flynn villain, if you will. Yeah. And he kind of pulls his first jackass move. Bad idea. He does it in Kennedy's office. And even worse idea, he decides to pull these antics in front of Rapp and Coleman. Like how naive a politician to think, just because I got appointed to some new bureaucratic you know political appointee job i can do that you're messing with the wrong people and in this scene he really 
he looks at Coleman in the corner and he's like, I don't really know you. You know, I'm the boss, so I know my staff. I know I got a rain wrap in, keep him on a leash. I know I got a Kennedy. She's going to be tough to crack, but I got to kind of control her. There's this third factor, this man sitting on the couch, giving him a weird look. What did you think about Ross when he sees Coleman sitting on the couch there? Oh, I love Coleman's response. Coleman was such a, like a, a jackass in, in that scene. I think it was perfect. But the fact that you mentioned, not only does he pull this in front of the two, but then he decides like, oh, what the fuck are these two guys up to? I need to dig into them. And this leads down to the whole path of like investigating Scott's business, getting into his, you know, the IRS on his ass, calling up the Pentagon, asking for his jacket. His records. I yeah. His records. And luckily, Flood is still in charge there, and he puts yep. a, the kibosh on the whole thing. But Well, Rap gets a call from Flood, and Flood's like, hey, Rap, you might want to look into something because the Pentagon's getting a bunch of requests from this new guy, Ross. So unofficially, I'm kind of just telling you, like, you might want to protect your boy Coleman. Yeah, exactly. And Rap's going to want to protect his friend. No, but like, who does this guy think he is, like, trying to do this stuff? Yeah. And then this leads to an even funnier scene later on when they're actually in a room looking at this intelligence that they've gathered on on Scott, his his personnel file, his IRS records, whatever. And we see this inversion where and Vince notes like rap purposely mimics this same thing that Ross just did in in Kennedy's office in Langley. To the fact, like, even quoting him, like, using yep. the same phrases that he does to just make a point of, like, how rude this guy was. And I love that. I was waiting in this book on a reread. I kind of forgot the minutia. I was like, so when does Rap bust into, like, Capitol Hill and just go in and start laying it on thick to these different, you know, congressmen Bureaucrats. and senators? Like, yeah. where, when's that going to happen in this committee room? Instead, it's the director of national intelligence's office it's a rap's gonna pull his antics and it's much more comical yeah he's he's quoting exactly what ross said and did in kennedy's office and doing it i think in front of he's meeting with some high level people it's like a really secure meeting right in his office at the um the national counterterrorism center that we just saw play a big role in memorial day and rap barges in but what's really cool is how rap gets in I like this minor character. I think it's the only scene we'll ever see him. Travis, I think Small was his name. Right. Who's not small at all. He's, Who's he's not a small. huge dude. Raps like, this guy's a monster. And he's one of the um, security guards or one of the, the guys protecting the National Security uh, Counterterrorism Center. And Rap is like playing buddy-buddy with him. And this guy's like, hey, thanks for what you did, stopping the attack. Like, that must have been crazy. And so this guy is going to let him up and he walks him up. And I like this quote when rap is playing it up chummy with this Travis, they both have, you know, history of uh, being the good guys. And they're talking about Ross and Travis is giving him all this insider info on his boss. He's like, he's really a prick. He's pushy. He yells, he screams. No one would ever think, think this about him. And I, as a reader was like, why is this guy giving all this info away? Uh, Vince writes, it's because this was one man who carried a gun talking to another man who carried a gun. Like there were that. certain like things they line. could communicate without even speaking. Like they were on the same page. And Travis yeah. lets him right up into his boss's office and barges in on a meeting. That was great. Good stuff. So in this whole Ross storyline, we also have this um, 
Mitch pulls his antics, we find out from Kennedy, this is this minor chapter where rap needs to sort of back off a little bit. I guess it's not, we haven't quite gotten to like Kennedy's um, outrage yet. No, like, but there is, you know, she tells him like, cause rap wants him to her to get Ross off of Scott Coleman, get the IRS off of Scott Coleman. Right. And then there's this one line of like, Oh, by the way, one of your buddies called from Saudi Arabia another intelligence operative who says that you're no fun anymore and once now that you're married um but there's a price on your head and this is like where the beginning the foreshadowing of rap like oh uh, well he's not the first time he's had a price on his head but now he knows that someone someone's up and this is going to lay the seed for the, in the future of like oh you know i need to go find that guy like it's definitely the saudis are involved or, or someone over there is involved you know in sort of we're going to talk about it in the second half of the book right yeah yeah, and that is going on in the background since I think one of the early chapters, like chapter four, we do learn there is a scheme, um, you know, some Saudi, you know, palace intrigue going on among the royal family and the uh, ruling class. And yeah, we get this hint that Rap is now aware of that because there's a, a, a bounty placed on him. And he kind of shrugs it off in the beginning. Yeah. He, yeah, he's kind of like, everyone wants to kill me. Duh, that's my life. But he does take it seriously enough to put to get Jack Warch put some security on Anna. He agrees to that. Yep, I think Kennedy makes that call and um, and get security for the house in Maryland. But let's get to the Saudi thing because this is really the the start of a line that would eventually lead to an assassin being hired to take out Rap. But there's some there's some backstory to get there. So it begins with a man, Saeed. Connected to the royal family. He's definitely a noble in Saudi Arabia. I think he's the half-brother of the crown prince. Yeah, but but what really motivates him here is the death of his son, Wahid. He knows that Rap killed his son, who was a jihadi, you know, in Afghanistan. And he tells the crown prince, Rashid, or Muhammad bin Rashid, right. the prince, uh, the son of the king. He tells him, I need your help to kill Mitch Rapp. And Prince Muhammad is like, whoa, this is a big one. But of course, he hates the West. He hates Rapp. After the events that we just saw at the end of executive power, Prince Muhammad bin Rashid is kind of on the royal family shit list because he is supporting terrorism. The king, King Abdullah, has been getting closer and closer to the Americans ever since Rapp and Kennedy uh, talked to him at the end of executive power, came clean, Mentioned that they killed his brother because he was funding terrorism and corrupt. You know, King Abdullah has been close to the Americans and particularly rap. So Muhammad, Prince Muhammad sees this as a chance to so divide in the royal family. And he kind of says to Saeed, I'm going to recommend somebody, but it can never get connected back to us. Right. And he recommends a German who we're going to learn is Eric Abel. And he says, this is your man. He can hire somebody for you. Contact Abel. Yeah, and in the first half of the book, we don't really get much more from the Saudis other than uh, there's a there's a minor meeting where Abel comes back and, and is discussing what he's going to do, and they essentially want to make sure that they tie up all the loose ends. You know, typical spy sump. You know, get get someone to kill someone, get get someone to kill someone, make sure you kill everyone on the way back. And then at the, at the very end, he finds this other guy in Saudi Arabia. He's like, "All right, we we gotta we're gonna have to make sure we kill Eric." 
the sort of towards the end of where we are, we see that they come to America of this whole sort of parade of Saudi royals where there's this like little line that Vince puts in where like uh, it's almost as if there's like a, a the Olympics going on, like the uh, the amount of like economic yeah. um, stimulus that the Saudis coming to America do is like uh, a minor like sporting event or something like that. Their whole entourage is with them. Yeah. All these planes. Yeah. But we, we get this slight hint that uh, Ross and Prince Mohammed are sort of working together or like have this relationship with each other. And that's something that we're definitely going to discuss in the second half. Yeah. And this director of national intelligence, Ross, is like, you know, Irene, the Saudis are the key. He thinks having a friendlier relationship with the Saudis will improve our national security. Yet Irene and Rapp and everyone in the intelligence community knows like, sure, with the right people in Saudi Arabia, like King Abdullah. But this director, Ross, is so gung-ho on getting this Muhammad guy on his side, even though Muhammad, even the Saudis would say, is the bad apple. You know, right. he's the one in the he's royal the family. Funding terrorism. Funding yeah. terrorism. And Ross is just kind of like, let's play nice and get along with all of them and doesn't dig into the minutia that the intelligence community actually and the relationships they've actually been having to kind of weed through the details and see who in the Saudi ruling family could be our ally and the king and how can we get the 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 next the successor of the king to you know be pro-western and not pro-terrorism and ross is going to blow that all up by giving muhammad whatever he wants and that's going right. to play a consequential role right yeah how about abel though because abel is hired now right he strikes yes. a deal with saeed uh initially i think it's like 14 million he gets them up to 20 million basically there's a lot of negotiating on how much rap is worth and these numbers keep getting inflated which it just in in the reader's mind just hammers home this is going to be a tough job this is a job nobody wants and it's going to take a significant amount of money so what do you think of this guy abel you know he's former east german spy he worked uh for the stasi secret police He's not good enough to be a field operative, but he because, you know, he's a little scrawnier. I got not as well skilled, you know, physically, but he's got the brains. He can outwit, outfox, outsmart people. And so uh, what do you think of his character being the one to hire an assassin? I. I liked his character. I So we we get like, I don't know, the whole spectrum of assassins or, or spies yeah. in this novel from Erica Bell to, you know, we get this a Russian who's a friend of, of Abel's, uh, Petrov, right? Uh, KGB. we get, Former KGB. we get our big, our big players in Louis, Louis Gould and Claudia and obviously Mitch Rapp. I think he's, he seems to be a pretty capable spy, although not, not enough to outfox Louis, which is, you know, a big showdown that, that Louis, you know, sort of pulls over him and, yeah. is almost like an audition to get him to actually hire him. But, you know, I thought he was a, he's an interesting character, right? He's this sort of this, like you said, this scrawny guy who can't be a mid-trap type, but his claim to fame was because he was so scrawny, he would like purposely put himself out there for like men, you know, and yeah. get them caught for being homosexual. Like Then he could blackmail you know, them. That's yeah, right. Blackmail them. So definitely you're, a quintessential spy, like, or, you know, someone who I would imagine seeing on like 
the Americans or, you know, some a Cold War type spy, right? So Yeah. He has the right contacts because when he's selected, he's gotten rich off some like dealings with OPEC and things. Yeah. He, you know, he's he... been working with the oil markets to kind of take advantage there. He's gotten in bed with some Russian gangsters and mobsters. So, you know, Russian organized crime is somebody he, he has connections to. So you feel like he's the right guy in terms of he's he's casting a, a wide net or a lot. He's got a lot of like tentacles in all these different areas. And one guy he relies on, you mentioned, was Petrov, a former KGB agent, and he butters him up. It's like, oh, hey, yeah. come on out to my my uh, was it my Alpine mountain, house. my yeah. Alpine house, you know, uh, in the Swiss border and Austria. He brings cigars, he brings all the booze, and this is an older man, like a very hardened kgb guy and he breaks him down he says i need a name you know they spend the night on the on the patio getting drunk and he's like i need the best assassin in the world and petrov's like hold on i don't want to have a loose conversation here and just spill the beans if i don't know the details and eventually abel leads him to know this is a big target i don't i don't remember if he says it's mitch rap no, he doesn't. He doesn't give that away, but he tells Petrov, this is going to be a tough job. I need the best of the best. And Petrov puts things together and goes, so you need a killer to kill a killer. I, I love that line. It shows Petrov is in the game. Like he he's right. a part of the game, even as an older man. I couldn't help but think of Hurley here a little bit, but yeah. You know, he's smoking and he's drinking. Yeah. And Petrov also knows somebody has got big money in this and he's trying to like – Abel is trying to like sweet talk him and play him. And he's like, Abel, I know you're being hired by the Saudis. So this is some dangerous shit. And Petrov says, the Saudis think that God is on their side. And people who think God is on their side are capable of the most inhumane acts. I just love how Vince is using a somewhat minor character. Get to the deeper side of things. You know, right. like realizing religious zealots motivated by extremism fuel the worst conflicts in history and this one minor character is throwing that out as a line in the scene like there's some depth to that well what's interesting is not only with like like you said these minor characters but like with abel and i think even with louis we get these like expositions on the history of europe like there's this whole scene where abel goes into like the downfall of Germany and the rise of, of Russia. Right. And, and also like the downfall of, of Russia and how like socialism doesn't work. And then we get Gould who does this whole like soliloquy in his head about how France is becoming the next, you know, socialist state. And, you know, there's this whole, I don't know, three, four or five paragraph segments where Vince sort of deep dives into the history of, the state of the the politics in Europe and just on the reread, I, that really popped out to me. Like yeah. he's sort of commentating on the time. And, you know, I wanted to talk to you also, we can talk about offline, but just like how correct he was in terms of seeing where France was going to go. Yeah. It really shows, I think shows great writing. The fact that he can just in these characters are just having these conversations in their heads or these ideas, but they're actually sort of, you know, you can write whole papers on this stuff yep. or whole, you know, PhDs on this stuff. And yep. it really shows Vince's, you know, outstanding writing here. Yep. I appreciate that depth, you know, just whether it's talking about post-World War II Europe and the trends that we're seeing 
or even the Saudi ruling family knowing that it's not all good or not all bad. They all support terrorists or, you know, the, the king is our friend. It's not this extreme one or the other. And yeah, so I love the depth, both this scene and the other scenes. I feel like it makes the book more chewable or more it's meaty. It's uh, more meaty. Yeah, meaty. Like anyone can have a plot where like, oh, this assassin exactly. kill this assassin. But exactly. like throwing in those other little things and they're like a paragraph. There's three paragraphs, a page, and it just makes the book that much better. Like we've said before, a lot of this genre, I honestly pick up most of my thrillers when I need a break from heavy reading because <laughs> they are just this fun, badass, like pew pew. Vince gives us more than that. You just and he, he does. does it I agree. and he does it so skillfully working it in to such an amazing story with the badass moments that you don't even realize it's that deep. But if you if you choose to to dig into those between the lines kind of phrases and paragraphs and sentences and dialogue, you definitely get a deeper a deeper message. So yeah, because yeah, if Should, you're just reading it outright, it's just read oh, it just this for is, fun. This you is, can his, do that this too. is his background. But it's just like, oh, this is a paragraph about the character's background. And then I just move on. I don't even like care about it. But if you actually want to think about, oh, this is what Vince, in the way Vince writes it, he's actually commentating on what he thinks about this. Yeah. So, And here's another layer, because I want to get to the Goulds here. Sure. If the Goulds are as good as they say they are, would they would they want their name out there for some random German banker who works with organized crime in Russia to know them and have his their contact information. A lot of thriller writers might be like, oh, the Saudis hire this German. German hires the assassin. Move on. But no, we have this like coded, I have to go to this KGB man who is also very secretive and we're both playing games back and forth and I'm trying right. to butter him up. And then this guy Petrov, he says, I got a number to give you. Or I have an email address to give you. It's a man and, and a it. woman. I don't know anything more than that. But they're the best of the best. You know, instead of just like, oh, yeah, there's these people. Call Louie. Here's his number. It's, it's it's like so much deeper to unveil, unveil how good the ghouls are that they are so hidden by these layers. Right. Yeah. yeah. So let's, let's get into the ghouls a little bit. Yeah. We're first introduced to them with Louie. He's in London. And he's taking this hit on this banker. Uh, I forget the name that he's using. He's using an alias in the first chapter. We don't actually get his name, Louis Gould, until we get his backstory oh, a little bit uh, later. They were um, Amanda and Henry. <laughs> right. <laughs> he takes out this this banker by like putting the balloons like on a on a CCTV. Like yeah. I love this scene. And you just there's scenes with Louis throughout the first half of this book where you see he's a really good assassin. He's a really good spy. Yeah. And reminds me of Again, like just because one of my favorite spy writers, but um, Robert Ludlum and the Born Identity, and you see these various chapters where Louis is doing this crazy spy shit, and it, it's just I don't know. I I love that stuff. It's very cool yeah. to me. It reminds me of um, what's the the third option? The scenes with Mitch and doing that stuff. Yup, yup. Another layer. So there's the balloons to block the security camera. But we get some backstory, which is true and was becoming more true at the time. London is the most surveilled city in the world. You know, highest closed circuit television cameras anywhere in the world. I bet back in, when was this book from? Uh, 
2004 yeah early 2000s that was probably like a really sexy thing that like cities were all of a sudden installing all these security cameras and you're watched wherever you go you know now that's common says it's some very orwellian stuff you know and then we already worked in 1984 into the other scenes all that's on your mind as louis trying to operate in this urban environment covered in surveillance and to add another layer he's got the right partner for it someone whose skill set you know in rap's life is going to play a major role to the current day with total power but louis is working with a woman they're on the comms throughout the whole mission They've got their code words down. They've got their geography of the park. I think they're in Hyde Park, if I'm not mistaken, making this hit. And then Louie and her even like there's a policeman, you know, 200 yards this way. And Louie knows exactly what to do. I think he uses a newspaper to cover the gun, you know, shoots the guy, keeps moving. The balloons are blocking the camera. And Louie walks away like too easy. Yeah, exactly. And we're getting this psychology of Louie as someone who... He's he's plateaued or he thinks he's that good and he's kind of like, I'm kind of sick of just doing these simple jobs. I need a challenge in my life. He's like, I'm ready to show I'm the best of the best and doing things like this, killing some guy in a bench in in London. He's like, when is the real work going to come? He's like, I I need more. He's like, this is just another day in the park. And then he's talking about retiring. He's like, I just got to do a few more of these. Claudia wants to retire, but I'm not going to tell her. We get this psychology of Louis holding things back from Claudia. She's taking these jobs and finishing them so they can retire and live comfortably. In the back of his mind, he's like, yeah, but I'm not telling her. I'll never stop. She thinks we're going to retire. Sure, I'll buy the house. Sure, whatever. But he's like, I'm going to keep going. He he's The thrill of the hunt for him is so ingrained. He, he doesn't want to get bored with it. He wants to up his game. It's planting the seed for showing how unstable he is because yes you know if you just read the first half of this novel you don't really see there's only minor hints to show that how freaking crazy i mean i guess any guy who would take on the mitch rap assassin job would be crazy but you know he seems like a decently stable guy but like you said there's these minor little things that vince puts in there to show you oh this guy's like insane like he's he's a sociopath he's crazy yep yep one other way his skills are showcased is when Abel is finally going to meet with Claudia to negotiate the contract. Oh, Claudia yeah. agrees to hear this man out, says, sounds like a lot of money's involved. She requests a meeting in person. And Abel is like, this is easy. You know, I'll stay back. I'll do some reconnaissance. I'll check it out. I'll watch her from a distance. I'll make her wait. I'll make her nervous. And then I'll get the upper hand and get a cheap price. I'll come on in get my killer, hire them at a cheap price, I'll be able to play these people. And while he's feeling so secure, watching Claudia from a distance, he feels something from behind. Fine, and he like breathes on him, and, and this the smell of coffee is mm-hmm. later on when Louis breaks into Abel's house and takes his stuff out of his safe, like he gets that same smell to know like, oh, this is the same guy. Yeah, like Eric thinks that, and you know, he, he doubled back, he, you know, thought he wasn't being followed and this just shows you how good louis is he wants to know who who's emailing us for this big job why is like don't you shouldn't make her wait anymore mm-hmm. yeah so that scene was great and then they they have a lot of demands and they want yeah. to take the job so eric is like he said he's freaking he's spiraling out of control he's, he's losing control, control of this yes. meeting he 
is freaked out because he just had a gun or a knife to his back. He wanted to have full control of everything. He's a very controlling guy, right? So he whack, he, he backs out. Yeah. And then this is when Louis like, all right, well, we have to give him an audition. And then this, yep. this then show him our skills, show him our skills, breaks into his house, breaks into a safe. This then leads to Eric being like, all right, well, I got to hire these guys. Yep. I, I got to, I got to hire them. Yep. They scare him. Abel is like, who the hell are they to, you know, outfox me and put me on defense? Like, I guess this is the right person for the job. There's a lot of back and forth about the money again. Yeah. It, it so kind of sets up that Claudia's not really in it for the thrill. And the whole time she's kind of regretting if the job is as big as it sounds, what they're doing. So she's like, we might as well try to get some more money out of them if we're taking this risk so we can live comfortably. Eventually, they have a conversation and Abel finally lets them know it's Mitch Rapp. They're taken aback. They're like, yeah. whoa, this is the job you were you were talking about. It is as complicated as it is. And so they raise their fee. So there's a lot of money back and forth. There's a they lot want more money because of this. Yeah. Abel at one point is willing to back out. He's like trying to get the upper hand. And he's like, I guess I don't need you. And he tries to back out. Claudia is going to keep the retainer. There's a $100,000 retainer. So there's a lot of negotiating. Do you think this is how hits work in this business? Like this kind of back and forth on the money, meeting at a cafe. Like, I don't know. What do you think about all that? I haven't. Well, there's like the whole scene or the whole line where it's like, all right, the retainer would be like 25 grand for an email, 50 grand for a dead job, 100 grand for an in-person meeting. I could see like that happening. But this whole back and forth with like, I don't know. I th- it was a little drawn out for me, and like I didn't really care about the money that much. Just like exactly. you tell me it's ten million dollars, and that's a lot of money, you know, or twenty million dollars, yeah. whatever it was, you know. So Louis kind of like that too, because Claudia wants a little bit more of figuring out the money, and Louis like I just want to be able to pull this off to show I hunted the hunter, I killed the killer. Like he wants it for those reasons. Once again, showing more of that sociopathic tendencies of he has to keep killing and getting better and proving um, that he's the best assassin in the world. In his own mind, yeah, the, he thinks so. In that scene where he's in Eric's apartment or hotel, whatever it was, um, and that's when he tells him it's Mitch Rapp, and he takes it and walks out. He doesn't really show how freaked out he is to eric but then like when he walks around paris that night he's yeah or no yeah it's in france um he's like really like oh shit do i he's like oh man what what could this mean like this is huge yep eventually he decides obviously decides to take the job but yeah he definitely contemplates it for some time he does he does yeah those are a lot of some good internal dialogue going on there you know, there's something that we haven't addressed yet. It's going to lead us into the second part of the story. We get the pregnancy announcements. We do. I think it's literally one chapter after the other that we, we hear both of these. So Flynn is very clearly trying to parallel, I believe, these two stories in our mind by giving us, boom, one announcement, boom, the second announcement. Yes. But there's a lot of playful back and forth between Mitch and Anna throughout the book when we do see them together. 
And that's building up to this moment at the Capitol Grill when they're out on a date and Rap's waiting for Anna and she's late. And Rap is thinking about Anna's always late for things at the house. He's talking about how she goes shopping all the time. She comes home with these bags. He's like, where were you? And, you know, fashion terrorist, as he calls them. She's a fashion terrorist. And at one point she comes home and he asks her something like, how much money do you spend on shoes or handbags? And she snaps back in this playful way. Do I ever ask you how much money you spend on your guns? <laughs> and in his mind, he's like, I use my guns more than once. <laughs> you right. don't use your handbags or shoes more than once. <laughs> well, this this is all this. So, right. We're coming. This is coming off Memorial Day where Anna wasn't even in it at all. She was mentioned yeah. a couple times. Uh, I don't even think she had any dialogue. So... We're coming off of that. Then we get put into this novel where the first half we see a lot of Anna and we see or a decent amount of Anna, especially Anna with Mitch. And I think he even says that they were really hitting their stride. Like things were yeah. going a lot better. She wasn't. There was a lot more of this playful banter with, oh, did you kill anyone today, honey? Like <laughs> yep. Yep. where the difference from the Anna back in, let's say, transfer of power or not. Yeah. Transfer of power or third Separation. option, whatever separation of power where she's being naggy and yeah being the typical reporter like oh you can't do that like this type of stuff and they've seemed to have made the next step in the relationship and mitch is like oh this is great he he loves it he's genuinely happy for this he actually wanted to have him sooner and she was the one who was like you know obviously a career woman you know wanted to wait a little bit but now she's you know obviously ready completely different way than how Louis takes the news. Yeah. Um, or at least he takes it in stride, but then we know deep down that he feels completely different about it. Where Mitch is completely honest. He lets, right. Like this is one of the few times you see Mitch almost softening up. He, he, he tells her like, honey, this is the best thing in the entire world. I'm so excited. And you could tell he genuinely means it. And you could tell Anna, and his relationship are at a point where she knows he genuinely means it. She was a little nervous. Is he going to become all Mr. Assassin? I can't tell you things how I really feel. Say I'm excited, but kind of his mood changes a little. No, he's completely over the moon and open to her about how on board he is with this step in their relationship. Which, right. Louis, he gets pretty nasty. He does. He gets he pretty does. nasty. He straight up tells her, this is your fault, the pregnancy. It's pretty vicious how he responds, come to think of it. He says, this is your fault. Did you stop taking the pill? What does he say exactly? It was something nasty. Oh, yeah. He he blames her. Yeah. No, there's that whole scene where she's like having morning sickness and yeah, she blames that, you know, she stopped taking the pill on purpose and, you know, just completely is mean to her. Yeah. And it's just so crazy how that scene comes right after Mitch, who makes himself very vulnerable and open and telling Anna how much he loves her and he's excited for this. And then Louie is just kind of a jerk. He even walks out on her from the hotel room right? at some point when they're fighting. So, yeah, completely different response shows a lot about these two different people, how one can be an assassin and still long for this family life and this normalcy and believe in relationships where you see Louie is a jackass and 
he's kind of using Claudia in some sense. Maybe he loves her. It's his way of loving her, but it's a way that is so cold and so broken. And in his mind, he just he just wants to focus on the mission. He also sees it, as we're going to see in just a bit, jeopardizing the mission when he actually starts planning. And part of the plan is doing a little recon. So he bugs Anna's car, knowing she's a reporter. She works the White House. He finds the parking garage. This was kind of cool. He goes around to some different parking attendants yeah, like and that. asks if, if they've seen this car. I forget the reason he gives, but he's like, have oh, you seen this car today? And we're looking for like a tax or someone. That's yeah, right. He poses. Taxes. Yeah. He's like, we got to we got to we got to find them. And he even pays off one of the parking attendants like, hey, give me a call if you see. I think it's an Audi, right? An Audi A8 or something. BMW. BMW. It, oh, that's the BMW. Rap is driving the Audi in the other scene, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, and Anna drives the BMW. And one of the parking attendants is a hit and says, yeah, that car's down here. Bugs it, puts a tracker on it, and is able to follow Anna out to Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay, where the rap house is. Yeah. So one of the interesting things that you mentioned, does he even love her? We get the whole backstory with him and Claudia where he's almost like a, I feel like Claudia was a prize to him because she was this daughter, you know, one of his commanding officers and obviously they fell in love, but the father didn't like it. She then, they break up. There's the whole scene in like a bar where like her friends make fun of Louis and Louis like, you know, beats the shit out of them. And so I don't ever, like their actual coming together wasn't, it's not out of love. I think that it's, Louis sees her more as a trophy and that this was someone from like all stages, you know, like this was someone who I wanted then, I got her, I lost her, I got her again, lost her, and and then finally I got her again. And is not supportive at all, is super rude about the pregnancy. And then, you know, this is where it starts, everything starts to unravel leading up to the eventual, you know, end of where we're going to talk about today, the explosion and the death of Anna and Mitch's unborn child, where I think part of the reason why things sort of go astray and why Mitch is able to track them in the future is and he blames Claudia for this because you know she has this morning sickness that causes Mitch to run into them on one of their surveillance routes right Claudia speaks French because you know she's she's sick that, that's that's another tip uh and then you know just it sort of like dives into chaos and this is and he blames Claudia for this and this child and and this is again bringing us to the idea that Louis unhinged he is not a normal person he has you know psycho tendencies he actually doesn't want to get out and i think that you can see where rap has this line in one chapter where i think he's on his way to he had just like injured himself and he has to go to the doctor but he's like well i gotta you know i really gotta get out if we're gonna have this baby and in the past, he said, you know, I got to get out, got to get out. But He when said I it reading, all before. But yeah. When I was reading that chapter, I thought he truly meant it. Like, this was the time where Rap is like, I'm going to get out. Yeah. And when you're, on, when you're reading it, it's like, wow, like, that's, I don't know. I was just like, wow, that's, that's very powerful. And I, I felt bad. I felt really bad for Rap, knowing, because I knew what was going to happen in the next couple of chapters, right? Yeah. That's why I think what we're going to get to here is kind of, we're ramping up to the key event, the explosion. It was so powerful when you first read it. 
I remember this book having a profound influence and this scene, a profound influence on me as a reader. Just, whoa, that happened. Oh my God. It, you know, and now on the reread, it it shocked me a little less because I knew it was coming. Still a fun read, but there was a little less on the reread, on rereading this probably the third or fourth time. Didn't have the oomph. It didn't pack the punch it did when we first lost Anna. You know, I can now see it coming. As I was reading, I was looking for all the little foreshadowing, of which there was plenty. Um, oh, yeah. So this is an incredible book. And when it's the first time reading it and you don't know the story, man, it's incredible. I just, for me, it didn't land as hard uh, on a reread, but that's a separate note. Yeah, that was going to be my, a little bit of my hot take where, and I think as an offshoot to that, I agree with you, as an offshoot to that, I'm kind of disappointed in how this famed assassin tries to take out Mitch Rapp. I wanted, in the moment, I was like, oh, wow, this is like when I first read it, but I haven't reread it in a long time. In the moment, the first time I read it, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I didn't really see it coming. I I guess I kind of did, but it was like, wow. And I remember like, I don't know, getting emotional about, <laughs> even though like, I haven't, th- I didn't eventually think critically about the books when I was reading them. I was just sort of reading them as a fan, liking them, like I'm thinking about them critically now. On reread, like you, I agree with you, I think it was a little bit, I guess one thing I can compare it to, have you read the Game of Thrones books? Haven't read them. I mean, seen the TV show, but haven't read the books. Okay, so you know the Red Wedding, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's like a scene. I've, every time I've read reread the Red Wedding, it must it's stick. still like it. It it's sticks still out. Freaking yeah, crazy. And it I guess rocks this, you. It does, and this to me is like that, where you know it's because Vince hasn't really had this sort of like crazy out of left field turn. Before. No, in, he in hasn't taken risks uh, like he has in Consent to Kill in any of his books yet. This big. No. But, you know, so I agree with you. It It's still very powerful, but I guess the fact that you know it, you read the novel a little bit differently. So, you, yeah, you like true. you said, you pick up those foreshadowing things. But what I think is the big takeaway is that I think it shows that Louis is a little bit more of a, not as good as we thought it was. You know, mm-hmm. he does it managed to kill Anna and Mitch is, we're going to talk about in the next pod, how Mitch is saved. But I wanted something more badass from Louis. I wanted like, I don't know, looking through the rifle scope and taking Mitch out that way. Would a long shot just let you down also though? Like, Oh, rap walks out of the house, ghost his car. Boom. Long shot. End of story. Oh, must be a great assassin. I think that could have let me down. That, would have let me down even more on an initial. What about read. a hand to hand? What about a hand to hand? But why would he do it if he's that good? True. Well, because he's crazy. Yeah, it's true. Because the thrill. Okay, you could have, or, or Vince could have taken that route of he's a crazy killer. He just is in it for the hunt. He wants to go toe to toe. You know, like in the movies, when the two major characters, the good guy and the bad guy, are going to face off. One has a clear advantage. Often the villain. I yeah. got the gun. I've cornered you. And then he's like, be a man. Fight me. All right. Toss the gun to the side and fight. You could have made it like, all right, sure. They're going to go toe to toe because they have to. But then that would have felt cheap. I feel like a right. long sniper shot would have felt cheap. The explosion on the first read is so damn good. Like we're it's critiquing so good. as you reread it and there was foreshadowing and you knew it was coming. 
has a little less impact. But on your first read, going toe-to-toe would have felt cheap. A sniper shot would have been boring. Setting up this explosion and then knowing how Mitch got out of the explosion and survived, I think that lands. I just I just think that was great. Perfectly done. It's just kind of a bummer that it doesn't have that same flair when it's spoiled and you know it's coming. I, I, I think that's what you. we're upset about. Because you, you're right. All those other things would piss us off or let yeah. us down in some way as well. I wish I could re-consent to kill over and over and every time it's my first time reading it because yes. that is something special yes. as a reader. Yes. You know, I just, totally we can't we can't have that experience. So we're griping about it. <laughs> I want that because the first time I read it, I was like, I, I might have yeah. been crying. I might have been. crying. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was at the epilogue. So the crying moment for me is going to come in part two because I still teared up even on my third. I think my fourth reading of this. So we're going to get to that next time. The ending of this book. Oh, man. Get ready. That's very good. Get ready. But Mitch survives. He we walked out the back of the house, you know, right as Louis posing as a repairman set up all this, you know, the gas is going to be the accelerant, which is going to hit the propane. It's going to cause a secondary explosion after the first explosion to cover the evidence, you know, to burn off any evidence right. of who tampered with this. You know, he stopped up all the vents on the roof, the chimney vents, the other probably plumbing vents. He clogged them all up to trap the gas inside. But Mitch, eating McDonald's, you got to have that McDonald's. <laughs> got to have that. Straight through the what does house. he have a double cheese, a quarter pounder with cheese and a Big Mac and a fries and a large Coke? And Jesus. the Coke. I mean, right after surgery, you're going to get a little woozy, not from the drugs, but from that meal. And so he walks out onto the back patio a split second too early for Gould's liking and is able to survive. Just hits his head on the dock, falls into the Chesapeake. Anna, who just came out the front door, is not as lucky. And there's this interesting take of Louis simply to placate Claudia, simply to kind of say, all right, fine, we'll get extra money, you know, for um, covering our tracks if I do it this way. And Claudia really wants Anna alive. I don't really care, but she wants it. Maybe we can make this marriage and pregnancy work. I'll try to spare Anna. She's coming out of the house. He's like, move further from the house. I want to wait. Eventually, right. it detonates and Anna's killed. But Claudia, uh, Louis doesn't really have any remorse. He's only like, nah, Claudia's not going to be happy about this. And bikes off or takes his bike through the woods to get out of there. We'll have to say, you know, bells or some mourning for Anna. Part two. Part two is going to be heavy. Yeah. On reread, we saw it coming. Uh, we could see that, that Vince really wanted to get wrap sort of untangled from this relationship which is interesting it's in the same novel that he brings in his future his second you know love interest in the, we are introduced to claudia in this novel yeah uh that sort of juxtaposition of like his before and after although we don't see that until kyle picks up the series Ex- but. exactly i was gonna say that wouldn't, wouldn't have been vince but yeah I, the the dueling or or parallel pregnancies we even with one in a sad tragic comes to a sad tragic ending the fact that they were paralleled has to play a major role in rap's arc and kyle is going to do that and pull that off and see by dovetailing and putting together these two pregnancy plots rap lost his the other one is still going to have a major impact on the the course of his life you know years later well that's that's the first half of this book 
That's part one. Let's just wrap it up here. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things throughout as we went, so let's just wrap it up. Who won? Who Who were the winners? Who were the losers? I don't know. Even though I just like sort of uh, crapped on how he took out Mitch Rapp, I, I think Claudia and Gould are the winners of the first half of the novel. Um, they're pretty cool, like dynamic duo, although we've come to find out that Gould is freaking insane in the second half, and, yeah. or we're beginning to see that. But yeah, you know, he almost succeeds in taking out Mitch Rapp. He takes away one of Mitch Rapp's, you know, prized things in his life um, or people in his life and his unborn child. And we also see Gould in a lot of these cool spy scenes. He's very talented. And something interesting, he's not, he thinks he's Mitch Rapp's equal, but he's not Mitch Rapp's equal. So, yeah, I think the winners are... Claudia and, and Gould. And if I had to pick a loser, uh, I don't know. Like, I guess the whole political thing is going to play bigger in, in the second half. So yeah. in the first half, it was sort of just there. Um, yeah. We really, I, I, it, it, a little bit confusing. Although, like, I guess they're the ones who set it up. The reason we go down this whole path is the Saudis are, like, paying for it ultimately. So, yeah. yeah. I think I'll agree with you. The Goulds are developed rather well. I'm going to give the upper hand to Claudia. I think the way she plays Abel in the negotiating scene at the cafe, kind That's of good. this That's good. You know, snazzy, put-together, cool, collected, confident woman in that scene, she just plays him. I was like, oh, snap. You know, Because this Abel character we thought was so good, and he's going to hire right. this assassin. He's going to carry out the job, and he's so full of himself. How quickly he was torn down. Um, by the Goulds, particularly Claudia, when he was face to face with her and she was making him sweat. So right. I think she came on as powerful, had a great intro and she had that skill set, but she also had a heart. You know, when we see her talking about I actually like rap, we actually like, why would you accept this job? We look up to him. I know. Yeah. And not we look up to him as like, we love you protecting America, but look up to him as like, you're the best at your job. Like, exactly. And exactly. you're able to do this job and be a good guy, you know? They look up to... He's one of the good guys, she says. He's one of the good guys. She even says, you're one of the good guys. She looks up to that balance of an assassin who's able to ba you know, have this life. And it's kind of where Claudia wants to get to with Louis, but it's kind of doomed because of who Louis is and his baggage. You know, one other winner for me, we get great backstory here. You mentioned the story of the Goulds and how Louis won her, even against her father's wishes. We get some backstory on Mitch. We learn a lot about him and Steven growing up yes. and Rap's parents and father. You know, I think at one point they say he was very, you know, rough guy. You know, he told this, them to suck it up. You know, when Rap broke his... He was Mr. Suck It Up, yeah. Mr. Suck It Up. When he broke, broke his arm doing yeah. something, he didn't take him to the hospital. He's like, suck it up. And then finally Rap's mom was like, you better get that boy some attention. You know, it's swelling. When his arm is like like three times the size. <laughs> exactly. But his dad was just going to tell him, tough it out. Well, So I, I, that backstory, a little tidbit like that, definitely helps us understand why Rap is who he is. I, a funny and, story. I actually did a very similar thing to that where I broke my sister's leg and... Oh, no. Bon accident and or might have been on purpose and i wasn't trying to break it but i was you know we were fighting and my, my parents were like suck it up it's fine you know you, you just sprained your leg and then she literally like sprained like broke her the leg and the, the bone in the lower part of the leg uh and had to have a cast 
for like a long time and we actually went on a cruise we were like about to go on a cruise oh, so man. she had to have a cast on the cruise it was awful but I, oh, when man. i'm reading that that part of the story i thought about oh well my parents yeah. told my sister to suck it up <laughs> I, and i think it says the, the rap's dad is the old testament catholic yes and rap's mom is the much softer you know around the edges forgiven forgiving protestant or lutheran or something uh new testament kind of way and then uh, you know another story is when rap beats the shit out of the kids on the baseball diamond like right, for his, his brother. brother steven was you know born prematurely scrawny kid way behind his age developmentally in size he was always always the brains, but Stephen was was smaller in size. And he says there was an unspoken agreement that you don't you don't touch Stephen when they play sports, right? Everyone in town, all the kids, he was the catcher, and if there was a play at the plate, he didn't have to tag him, right? Because he didn't want him in any serious injury, being smaller for his age group than the other kids. And one day, this this guy named Doozer, which by the way, there was a Doozer in third option. Yeah, there was. Who, was just some brash bully who sprayed the car down with bullets. Remember that? Well, here yep. we get a deucer as a kid barreling through Steven as the catcher at the plate. And everyone in town knew you don't pick on the little kid like that. You don't barrel through him and knock him over. Rap charges this dude, is smaller and two years younger than him. I think it's like Rap's 11, this kid's 13 or something. And Rap just jumps on top of him and pounds the crap out of him. And he became a legend in his town, you know, for doing this. I just he love says that. The, he didn't even remember, but the, the, all his friends said that he was running and making, like, Indian war calls, like, from, yep. from right field or left field, wherever he was coming yep. from. But, yeah. Which is kind of like, whether he did or he didn't, that becomes the legend, the myth exactly. of a, a little trap. Like Vince, through this little storytelling, is giving us this mythological Mitch rap as a as an adolescent kid protecting his brother. So for me, that's there's another winner we didn't get to is this level of backstory and advancing these characters, particularly Mitch. Nailed that's, in this book. I think we've mentioned this before, but I think that's one of the best thing Vince does is is backstories. Yep, yep, yep. So. All right. Well, that's part one. Yeah. What are we getting to next episode, Chris? All right, so next week we'll be finishing up our breakdown of Consent to Kill, getting into the rest of the book, our final ratings and review, and our much-anticipated cover discussion. Uh, again, we want to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., along with our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, and Jeff. Please, I can't say this enough, subscribe, rate, review us. We would love a five-star review or any review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts using your favorite podcasting platform. You can check us out on MitchRapPod.com, look at that Teespring button, order yourself a new t-shirt, or on our Twitter handle at MitchRapPod. Please, one more time, we're going to ask uh, to subscribe to our email list which will get you an entry into this month's uh, book giveaway which is a signed copy of consent to kill so please go on our website and sign up for that and as always just let mitch be mitch Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster. 
but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.